This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, January 1st, 2017, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Mark Haxo. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here at Restoration Road. If you are um, visiting us this morning, just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're glad you're joining joining with us this morning to, uh, to praise and worship our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Um, I get the privilege to uh, bring the word to you this morning, so we are going to be in Genesis chapter 35, where we um, will uh, be spending our time today. We're going to read the first half first, and uh, we'll deal with that, and then we'll go to the second half toward the end of the, uh, end of the hour here. So, if you'll uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 35, we're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 15 to start with. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah... Rebekah's nurse died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so he called his name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in that place, in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him. Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray first before I begin. Dear Father, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. I pray that uh, you would uh, uh, prepare our hearts to receive uh, the instruction of your word, that you would comfort those of us that need comfort, convict those of us that need conviction, um, and instruct those of us, all of us, with the instructing power of your word. I pray most of all, Lord, that you'd be glorified through the proclamation of your word and that uh, we would be fed. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Genesis 34, which is probably the darkest chapter in the life of Jacob's family, uh, perhaps even in all of the book of Genesis. Um, but now we finally get to a place in Jacob's life where we get to see some forward progress in his sanctification or in his, uh, in his relationship with God. In this chapter... God meets with Jacob three different times. In chapter 34, we've seen the, the cost of Jacob's lack of godly leadership in his family when his sons Levi and Simeon go on a murderous rampage to avenge the humiliation of their sister, Dinah. In that chapter, we learn that bad leaders with bad ideas will often fill the void when those who are supposed to be leading refuse to lead. And we know that the consequences can be extremely grave. And as a point of interest, you'll note that in chapter 34, God's name is not mentioned one time. But as we read chapter 35, you'll see that God's name is mentioned at least 10 times. So we see that there, there was a lack of of relationship that Jacob had with God during that time period of his life. So we know that at the end of chapter 34, after all of the killing and the entire raping of that entire city um, of Shechem where um, Dave, Jacob's sons had gone to avenge the humiliation and rape of their sister Dinah, that Jacob is filled with fear. He's afraid. He tells his boys that you've made me a stink to my neighboring peoples here. He, and, and for good reason, he's afraid uh, when all of those neighboring cities and peoples hear about what Jacob's sons had done to, to these folks. Um, they would certainly want to um, make things right. Um, but God, in his grace, now is calling Jacob to Bethel. What God does for Jacob and his family is to intervene in a supernatural and gracious way by bringing onto the, the, the neighboring people a fear, a great fear or terror, so that they will not pursue Jacob's family. So they're able to, to travel to, to Bethel uh, unimpeded, without fear. But before they leave, Jacob calls on his family to purify themselves to put away their idols, to change their garments. Essentially, he's asking his family to get right with God. He's saying, repent of your idolatry. Uh, repent of your unrighteous ways. I'm sure that that experience that they had all just lived through, I'm sure that it shook Jacob to his very core. He was, I'm sure, very troubled by what he's seen happening with his own children, with his own sons. But I think that as we look at what happened in chapter 34, we see an evidence that Jacob's children, his sons, had merely adopted the spirituality of their parents. Jacob hadn't been really walking closely with God, and neither had uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, and, and the others as well. 
Jacob's lack of godly devotion and, and, and Rachel's idolatry from chapter 20, 31, where she stole her father's household gods and hid them when they all escaped Laban, had, in, had had an influence on the rest of the family. A parent's true devotion is, is what matters when it comes to directing the paths of children. I believe that in the final analysis, as a parent, what you do matters a lot more than what you say. I'm sure probably along the way, maybe Jacob said a lot of things, but the children were able to see that Jacob's heart oftentimes was not right, and same with their mothers. For good or evil, children will believe that what's good enough for dad and mom is good enough for them, especially dad. They can see through the hypocrisy if, if, um, if, if, if parents are saying, do this, but then they themselves do that. Um, children are the first ones to see it. Um, and they, um, they will oftentimes uh, just do what mom and dad do. The role of a father as a spiritual head of the family cannot be overemphasized. And in this case, the weakness of Jacob's leadership had resulted in idolatry in a reliance on fleshly power and might over trust and dependence on God. Now, Bethel is the place where Jacob had had his first encounter with God. In, G in Genesis chapter 28, we read about the promises that God had made to Jacob, that he would inherit the land, and that he would have many offspring, and, and through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. God also promised that he would be with him wherever he went. Jacob's response was to make a vow to God and make a pillar to remember God's promise in his vow. This was when Jacob was on his way to his uncle Laban's place. He was fleeing a very angry brother named Esau who had uh, just had his blessing uh, taken from him by Jacob through a, a, an act of, 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 uh, of uh, deception on Jacob's part. It tells us in uh, chapter, chapter 28, verses 20 to 22, then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and, I will, keep me in, and, and will keep me in his way, that, this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob had experienced a lot since he made that vow. God had blessed him. God had prospered him. He had wives. He had many children, as well as considerable wealth materially. God had honored the vow, but Jacob had not. So now God is calling him back to Bethel, that place where he had had his first experience with the sovereign God of the universe and had promised to follow him. Such is the God who saves. You know, when we in our folly, when we in our own sinfulness forsake the promises that we have made to follow Christ, when the going gets a little tough in this life, God graciously calls us back to the place where we first met him. You see, God is not content to allow us to wander forever. God's word is very clear that he disciplines those whom he loves. And Jesus himself uh, says that he will never lose one 
whom the Father has given him. But it's not so literal as it is figurative, this going back to the place. He calls us to that place of faith and trust that we had when we first believed. You see, there was a church that Paul uh, wrote a letter to in Ephesus. He wrote, a, wrote an epistle to the Ephesians. That was a church that had really a lot of love for Christ. But through, as time went on, their, their love waned for Christ. And, and so that's why Jesus addresses this church uh, in his communication with John. Um, in Revelation chapter 2, he says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Jesus is very clear. There's a there's, a, there's so many ways that we can, we can spend our time being busy, so many ways in which we can be doing a lot of religious work to make ourselves look really good. But what's most important is that love that we have for Jesus Christ. And, and that love, that first love that we had, is through, it's, it's from that that everything else uh, comes out of. Has this happened to you? Has this ever happened to you? Have you forgotten the vow that you made to God when He first saved you? Or have you in the middle of living life, raising a family, doing things for God, for the church, have you forgotten Christ? Has the love that you once had for your Savior waxed cold? If any of this applies to you, then you too need to return to your Bethel along with Jacob and renew your vows to the Lord. After Jacob gets there to Bethel, he builds an altar and he names the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel. Because this was where God had revealed himself to Jacob when he was fleeing Esau. Then it says that Jacob has the first of three funerals in this chapter that are featured for Deborah, Rebekah's nurse. It's believed that Rebekah had died earlier. And Jacob and his family had taken her to be with them. We don't know a lot about Deborah other than that she was Rebecca's nurse and that she was traveling with Jacob and his family. Apparently, though, she was a very important person to this family because her death and her funeral are mentioned here. And any time the Bible mentions death, and per particularly when it mentions a burial or a funeral, there's, there's significance there. This is usually a more significant person. Um, but the fact is that Jacob names the place where she is buried Ellen Bakuth, which means oak of weeping, indicating that at the time of her death and at the time of her burial, there was no shortage of tears. And um, there was a lot of sadness. But then God appears to Jacob a second time, reminding him that he is no longer Jacob, but that he is now Israel. No longer shall he be 
living according to his past identity of, of Jacob, which meant heel holder or supplanter or cheat, but that he now can freely live according to his new identity as Israel, which means God prevails. So easy for us who have been also given a new name uh, in Jesus Christ because you are no longer uh, Ian, for example. You are Ian, son of God, right? We are all sons and daughters of the Most High King. And that's our new identity. But how easy it is for us sometimes to forget that we are now a new person, a new someone who's been given a new name. And we, we still kind of live according to our old identity. You see, Paul gives us some instruction in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3, which are relevant and important to us to consider. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, we are new, and we have a new identity. After reinstating the name change, God again reminds Jacob of the coming nations that will be his legacy, that the land given to Abraham and Isaac are also being given to him. God said to him in verse 11, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him, in that place where he had spoken with him. Jacob heard these words from God, and again he builds a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. Then it then pours out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Signifies he worshipped God there. He worshipped him there again. Names it Bethel. Today, we start a brand new year. Today is January 1st, 2017, the first day of a brand new year. Traditionally, we make resolutions to make improvements in our lives, whether to rid our lives of old habits, bad habits, uh, or to make new, healthier habits. The new year signifies a good time for us to make changes, or it's a time for new beginnings. And uh, what a great time for all of us who are followers of Christ to consider our own lives. A time to refocus, setting our minds on the things above and taking our focus off the things of this earth. Having been made new creations in Christ by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are now living as exiles here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, which is our true eternal home. Therefore, consider it folly to be overly concerned with things of this earth as though this were our true home. Now, I don't certainly speak of these as uh, one who has mastered this. I haven't. My focus oftentimes gets diverted from being uh, upward to downward on this plane here on this earth. So I realize that with you, I have to put these truths into practice every single day. One thing that I've come to realize is that when things start to get bad for me, when I start to get really stressed out, 
when the, the responsibilities of family or ministry begin to seem more like a burden than a joy to me, it's usually because I have taken my focus off of heaven and I have set it right here on this earth. I've let the concerns of this life weigh me down. The fact of the matter is that sometimes it takes some real effort on our part to set our minds on things of heaven, to send our, set our minds on the spirit and not the flesh. But when we do, we can experience the life and the peace that God intends for us. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This year, let us all resolve to pray as David did in Psalm 27, where he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's a beautiful prayer. Let's read the second part of chapter 35, beginning with verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died. She was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Ader. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him, in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to, his father's, came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Well, it's no secret that Rachel Jacob's favorite. She is the one who Jacob first fell in love with when he arrived at his uncle Laban's place after he had fled Esau. She is the one that Jacob was willing to seven, work seven years plus another seven years uh, for. And after many years of being barren, she finally gives birth to Joseph. And now as they traveled from Bethel toward Bethlehem, she gives birth to Benjamin. But the labor is very hard, and she dies in the process of giving birth. In her grief, she names him Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob, perhaps not wanting to remember the tragic circumstance of Benjamin's 
birth, every time he calls his name, names him Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. A couple of uh, observations. In chapter 30, in her frustration and envy for not being able to have her own children, she cries out to Jacob, Give me children or I die. And then in chapter 31, verse 32, this was after they had fled Laban's farm. Um, Jacob had finally had enough. He had taken all of his children and all his possessions, and, and uh, they had left. One of the things that Rachel had done is she had stolen those, those household gods, right? And uh, then when Laban finally catches up with him, because he was pursuing them, he was asking, who is the one who took my gods? And and Jacob didn't know that Rachel had them because she had hidden them and hadn't told anyone. But Jacob declared to Laban when Laban was saying, all right, who's got him? Jacob said, anyone with whom you find God shall not live. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Laban never did find the gods she had stolen, but the fact remains that she had stolen them and was hiding them. Now, I'm not saying that these are the reasons that Rachel child in died in childbirth. Many women died, died in childbirth back then. It was, it was hard. There was no hospitals to go to. There, were no, um, there was no modern medicine. They did have midwives, which she had here. And, um, but I did want to say that, that um, God is not mocked. And sometimes when we say things flippantly, we might say something like that, which Rachel said, give me children or I die. We don't really necessarily mean it, but it communicates something about our uh, reverence for the Lord. And even Jacob, when he, when he um, kind of flippantly says, if anybody here has a, your, your God's, uh, they, they shall die. Um, you know, I'm just saying we should be careful about what we say when it comes to things like that. Ultimately, though, what, what ended up... Um, uh, killing uh, Rachel and the pain of childbirth and, and death itself is a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, verse 16, uh, it's, it's written to the woman. He said, this is God speaking, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So that's what's been part of childbearing ever since. There's a lot of pain. I've never had a child, but my understanding is, and I have it on good authority, it is very painful. But it would be through childbearing that salvation would eventually come to this world. From generation to generation until such a time as we just celebrated one week ago when a young virgin girl named Mary gave birth to a son she called Jesus. Because of this one birth, through this one child, that we have salvation. This true son of the right hand, because even now he sits at the right hand of God, a position of supreme authority and power. It was through his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross that the serpent's head was crushed. Satan was defeated. Death and hell were overcome and abolished forever. 
The promises of God were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That which God began in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were finished in the death, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, we have the distinct advantage of time that they did not have back then. We can look back at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Christ himself, and we can see how God has worked out the salvation of sinners, sinners as we, as we go through the pages of Scripture. And we know that what God requires of us is no great works. He does not require us to be perfectly obedient. He would, but we have our perfect obedience. He has his perfect obedience in his son, Jesus Christ. So it's because of his obedience and his perfect righteousness that we can have a relationship with God. All he requires of us is faith, that we believe him, that we trust in him, that we depend on him and not in ourselves. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, he says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Toward the end of this chapter, we have in this verse 22, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. I wish this verse was not in this chapter. In fact, I kind of thought about just skipping over it, not really. But I wish I didn't have, I wish it wasn't there because I, I wish I didn't have to talk about sexual sin because that's what this is. This is sexual sin that took place. And you see, sexual sin has been prevalent among us human beings for a long, long time. And uh, I'd like to say it's getting better, that it's getting less, I mean, but it's not. It's, it's getting worse, the world that we live in. And so if God sees fit to talk about this and to bring this up in the pages of his book, um, then we really ought to be talking about it here. Because, you know, even though Reuben, presumably, they had gotten rid of all their idols, right? And they'd been buried under that tree, that terebinth tree at Shechem. It says that uh, Jacob buried all those idols. But there's something that went with Reuben that caused him to sin like this. You see, because it was in his heart. That sin was already in his heart when he left and went down there. And that's what happens. You see, Reuben was a sinner, and he allowed this temptation to overcome, and that's why this sin was given birth to. Well, um, the Bible includes these stories of depravity as well as stories of goodness and stories of happiness so that we might really understand who we are as human beings. Reuben commits the very sin which had impacted the church in Corinth. That is, a man having sexual relations with his father's wife. In this case, his father's wife's servant or his concubine, as it says. The verse only tells us that Israel heard of it. It doesn't really give us a whole lot of detail other than that Israel heard of it. 
Nothing else is said at the time. But we know that there was a consequence to Reuben for his sin. That's how sin is. The consequences of sin follow as surely as night follows day, I've heard it said. It always happens that way, especially sexual sin, which is so deceptive, making us believe that there will be no consequence and that no one will ever know. But we see it happening with people in positions of political power who have fallen in disgrace from their discovered patterns of sexual sin. Anthony Weiner. To, pan- to pastors who have suffered the same shame of losing the trust and the respect of their flocks for engaging in immoral behavior that they thought they could keep covered up. And it goes to the average husband or father who thought he could keep his habit of viewing inappropriate images or videos on his phone or his computer completely hidden only to have his own wife or children discover his sin and have to face the consequences of his private sins. The point is, it's very difficult to perpetually cover up sin. Reuben's sin was discovered, and in Genesis 49, when Jacob is on his deathbed, giving each of his son their final blessing to Reuben, this is what he says. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. What a shame. What a shame it was for Reuben to have this as his final blessing, which is a reminder of his sin. What a shame. I know that there are men here, perhaps even some women, who are involved in patterns of sexual sin. May I encourage you this morning to go to the cross, to confess and forsake your sin Receive the grace of Christ. It's available. It's available to all of us. We all need it. And whether you have this sin or any other sin, go to the cross this morning. Be reminded of the wisdom that is given to us in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, where it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And remember that this type of habitual sin, it's, it's hard to battle on your own and by yourself. Take advantage of what's already in place here in our church for your benefit. We have at least two times every week where men gather together to battle this dragon, to battle this enemy. They do it together because sometimes, especially with sin like this, It's easier that way. You have accountability. You have others who can can speak truth to you. You have others that you can confess your failings to. So, if you are a woman with this struggle or you're the wife of a husband who does, help is available for you as well. Please, I implore all of you 
Do not let this sin destroy you or your family. Come out of the dark into the light. Let the grace of God work miracles of healing and restoration into your life. Please see me after the service if if, if this is a concern for you um, or if you would like prayer. I'm available. Any of the elders are available. There's a few others here that are uh, involved in this um, in this battle that would love to meet with you and help you. All right, we're moving on. Now the sons of Jacob were 12, sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. This is the first of many times in the Bible where all 12 of Jacob's sons are listed together. Before this, they were listed only in part because Benjamin had not yet been born. But now we have the entire family together. They will together form the coming nation out of, of, of Israel out of which our Messiah would come. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. Finally, we have the account of the death of Isaac and the third funeral of this chapter. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It had been 40 years or so since Isaac, thinking that he was dying, called for his son Esau so that he might give to him the blessing. Many events had taken place then. I mean, imagine he lived another 40 years. So apparently that ailment, whatever he had, was just a passing ailment. And uh, apparently he lived uh, probably a pretty healthy life after that. Many events had taken place since then, including a dispute between Jacob and Esau, which had Esau vowing to kill Jacob after their father dies. So now their father has died. But at the occasion of their father's death, it seems that peace had come to these two brothers. They buried their father together, signifying that the animosity that Esau had for Jacob, for cheating him out of the blessing of Isaac, had abated. And you know, God has ways of preventing men from carrying out their evil deeds. Whether by tying their hands or by turning their hearts, it seemed like in this case he had turned Esau's heart away from the wicked plan that he had to kill his brother. But we know that this didn't happen only now, but in a preceding chapter, Jacob made great effort to reach out to his brother Isaac to make peace with him. And this is what we witness at the end of this chapter, two brothers coming together in peace and harmony to bury their father. And what does this do for us but give us hope? For if these two brothers can come back together after the animosity that existed toward Jacob from Esau, we can be sure that with God's help, even the strained relationships that we might have in our own families can be mended. Amen. So we do communion every Sunday that we meet here um, at Restoration Road. And, we, and the reason we do this is because 
it is a way for us to have close communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus, uh, on the night before he was crucified, met with his disciples, and, and in that time of, of meeting, they met for uh, the Passover meal. And, and during this Passover, Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he gave it to him and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And he says, eat and drink this in remembrance of me. So that is why we, we, we do this. We do it as a means of grace for ourselves uh, in our relationship with him. We do it to remember the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a meal that is for believers. If you're not a Christian, if you have not publicly identified yourself as being a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is not meant for you, but it is meant for those who are, in fact, um, professing believers in Jesus Christ. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I commend you to go to him even now as you, as you sit there. Um, confess to him your sins, your many sins, your unbelief, and your need for him and he will forgive you all of your sins. That is a promise that we have from Scripture. It is a promise that we truly do believe in. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you for the new names that you've given each of us. Thank you, Lord, that we are no longer locked into uh, our old way of life. Thank you, Lord, that we are, we are no longer carrying that same identity as a a uh, rebellious, rebellious person who is at war with you, but that you have given us a new identity which is one with Jesus Christ, that you have uh, redeemed us, you have given us new hearts, and now we can live our lives according to this new name that you have given us with peace, love, joy, long-suffering, um, in all the ways in which the fruit of the Spirit fills us. In Jesus' name, amen.